So, you know, I, mean, I knew it. I've known it for years, but I, I see not only the gift of preaching, the gift of the gospel, the gift of music, the gift of heart and uh, singing and challenging my heart and the challenging the people of God's heart. And if we can hear you and, and you walk with God, we are going to be growing in our faith, man. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. You know, um, I'd like to uh, open a passage in a, the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. And um, I'm going to get there in just a minute, but let's talk a little bit about, you know, in our culture, we call today New Year's Day. Happy New Year, everybody. Okay, there you go. Unfortunately, um, what we saw last New Year, there's a lot of stuff that went down in this last year that we didn't see coming. And you know what that means? There's probably stuff coming this year that we're not anticipating. There's great news ahead because God is in it. There's also challenging things many times in our individual lives, our family lives, your church life, our country's life, all these things because the year brings all sorts of things to it. God does not work on a calendar year. That's good news, okay? The same God that was God in 2022 or 1900 or in 400 AD or in 300 BC is the same God today. So we have thankfulness to know his history and what he's like and what he wants us to do. But I want to just kind of start with this idea here. Can you imagine, do you know what really has taken place in the last two or three years in our country and in our workplaces, our family lives, our neighborhoods, our, the world at whole? There are so many things that have gone on in the last two or three years. And I think a lot of people have become discouraged or distraught. Some have become encouraged. Some have become prosperous. Others of us have not. And there's been a lot of challenges in both our country, our world, no doubt in your family, no doubt in your workplace, maybe in your own personal life. And so there's a whole lot of changes that go on in, a, in the course of a calendar year. And... There's a time that we often look to the first of the year. This is the first of this year. It's like a time to reset ourselves, to kind of have a sense of future. So I want to just suggest a few things from God's word and then challenge us, invite us to engage with this Lord God who we've just sung about in a beautiful way. You know, in the book of Isaiah, um, it was written 700 years before Jesus came. And there was a sense of anticipation with the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, or the people of God in the Old Testament, that they were going to see one to come someday. And what that one would be like, we're going to look at that in just a minute. But then when he finally came, he came into a culture that was a mess. The Roman culture had come from the Greek culture, and there was a lot of turmoil Women were mistreated in terrible ways. There was a lot of immorality going on among leaders and among other people. And so there was confusion and a, a, a great time of great discouragement in the society at large in the year that we look back around the year zero AD or depends on how you want to work the calendar, but it was about 2,000 years ago. And so there was a promise made 700 years before that about the one who was one day going to come. 
And we know that that one came on what we call Christmas Day, even though it wasn't literally December 25th, we have kind of made that our Christmas. He wasn't born that day, but that's the way we celebrate Christmas Day. But the coming, the advent of Jesus, the Christ child. And there was a welcoming spirit needing, the people were desperately wanting to see him come someday because he had been promised 700 years before and been reminded of the people in the book of Isaiah and other prophetic writings of the Old Testament of what someday would take place. And so here he comes in what we now call the book of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 and there's something about this one who is going to come to give a sense of what he would be like. And so let's go there together here because we're at this time ourselves. It's the first of our year. It's the time for us to reset our lives in one sense. It's the time to be reminded of who has come, which we celebrated last week on Christmas Day, and what he was like then, 2,000 years ago, and friends, what he is still like today. The same one who came 2,000 years ago is the same one who is available today, inviting us that today, we are welcoming the Christ child because he came into our world 2,000 years ago and into our lives, he's come to many of us as well. So let's look at Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, which was a classic passage for us to look back on and to think about who this one was that was strongly desired and anticipated and needed because of the chaos going on in the culture 2,000 years ago. Isaiah 9.6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So let's look at this a little bit more today because these names of the Christ child reflect who he is, what he was going to be like, and what he was like when he first came 2,000 years ago, but friends, what he is like today as well. But first, notice what it says here, a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Let's stop there for a minute. The government shall be upon his shoulder. I don't know about you, but I sometimes wrestle with government. And our government, our local government, our national government, I know there's a lot of different governmental approaches around the world today. But the government, the big idea here is the idea of administration. The government will be on his shoulder. The administration of life will be on his shoulder. There'll be oversight on his shoulders. There'll be supervision on his shoulders. Now, we have officials, we vote, or sometimes they find other ways to get in office, but they are leading our country or our state or our mayorships or our local supervisors here in our county. So these are people that are given responsibility to oversight and lead and supervise and make things happen. And, you know, we can find fault with any president. We can find fault with any local. We can find fault with our governors. We can find fault, you know, because if you're a, a, a political leader, if you're in government, 
you're one to be shot at. I don't mean literally, if hopefully, but I mean verbally and emotionally and attacked because who can make everybody happy? Who can do what's really needed for everybody? No one can. And so no matter how well we vote, no matter how strong we have opinions about people, there's no man or woman that is able to do what is absolutely needed for all the people. And they can try their best, and hopefully they do sincerely try their best, but they still do not do perfect things. They don't do always right things or always generous things or kind things or merciful things or just things. And so, you know, we have to be those people that are concerned about government because it's never quite the way we had longed for it to be. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just trying to be truthful about the way this thing goes. So in fact, here it says the government shall be upon his shoulder. Wow, what does that mean that the government will be on the Christ child's shoulder? Well, he's not a political leader. The Christ child was not a political or voted on leader by the, the masses or appointed in the old days, dictatorial leadership or they fell into leadership because of who they were born to and they had a name or whatever. You know, so there's this whole concept of government that we might want to shudder from. We kind of stand ourselves back from and say, I don't know about this thing. And so when it says in the scripture, the government shall be on his shoulder, there's a, we have to understand what government means here. It's not political government. It's not like a politician. It's not to be a national or federal or local leader voted on the people for a season. What it means here is the government or the sense of the administration or the oversight or the supervision or the power to act is going to be on his shoulder. Whose shoulder? This Christ child. This one that we welcomed one week ago on the Advent Sunday, Christmas Sunday. And so that's the one who was promised to come and make all things new, to make things different. But 2,000 years ago, he came into the Roman culture and the Jews and the Romans and Gentiles, they all tried to respond to him in some way. But now look, let's look more now about his name. Who is this one? Because he wasn't a governor or king or leader only 2,000 years ago. But he's still in government today. He's still available to us today. But who is he? Well, here's where we're going to go today is to understand his names. And his names reflect his actions. They reflect his habits, his traits, his character qualities. Now, my parents gave me a name, Douglas. And I may have shared this a few months ago or maybe a few years ago here. But my parents call me Douglas. And you know what Douglas means? Dweller by the dark bog. Douglas. Hello, son. We're going to give you a name called Douglas. You dweller by the dark bog. Have a good life with that name. Oh, man. I didn't know what that name meant until I did some homework. It's like, oh, man, I almost, I mean, my name is my name. But you know what? I kind of know what that name means now, where it came from and its roots. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Thanks a lot. So 
sometimes our names can mean something depending on the definition. We don't want that name. <laughs> or we're who we're named after. Or what we're named like. And it kind of stays with us. It's kind of like, oh boy. Now others of us are probably very thankful for the name we have. Or it means something to us. Or it's named after someone we honor and respect. And so that name means an awful lot to us. There's a lot of great Douglases out there. There's also apparently a lot of Douglases that maybe were depressed or discouraged or dwellers by the dark bog. And that's one that, you know, I don't know. I have some tendencies sometimes. I think, I think I'm there. I think I, I'm emulating that name. I feel sometimes I dwell by the dark bog. Like, a, you know, I'm kind of in the dumps a little bit, if I can say it, to be honest with you. Now, all that to say, this one, this one who came... He has another name called Emmanuel, God with us in Isaiah. But right now we're looking at these names that Jesus, the Christ child, when he came, was going to emulate. It's what he was about. And not just 2,000 years ago, but today, this same Jesus is still named these same qualities. And he's still acting according to these qualities. And so let's think about these names now. And the first one here is the word wonderful counselor. His first name, a wonderful counselor. You know, with that name, when you look up the Hebrew definitions of this, it means that he's the resolver. He's the one who has an unusual ability to resolve and advise. He's a counselor who's that. He's wonderful. And the word wonderful literally means to awaken astonishment beyond human capabilities or natural advice. Think about this Christ child now. He's the one who awakens astonishment among people. With, he has, his capabilities to advise are far different than what natural humans, counselors, would provide. And he has an unusual ability to resolve situations that are far beyond the advice that we're going to get from other people. I don't know about you. Have you found situations that seem so impossible, you'd have no idea how to respond? And so we, we pay for counselors, we read books, we go to the internet, some of us go to Wikipedia, we go to any way we can to try to find help and counsel and perspective. But here is one who is not tied to human counsel and advice that comes from our natural world around us here. The literal, I mean, it's the idea of he's a wow counselor. The counsel and perspectives he brings on situations is so far beyond what our natural instincts, our natural abilities, or our, our opinions that we're seeking from others, reading books, watching the news, reading the internet, all these other kind of things. How should we handle this and this and this? Oh yeah, we pay all this money. It's like, wait a minute, this is too confusing. This is too hard. We can't figure this out by ourselves. And so he's a wonderful counselor. And you know what's so amazing about his counsel is that the counsel of Jesus is rooted in the fact that he is changeless. He doesn't go by the whims of the day. He doesn't go by the breezes or the winds of the culture or what's going on in any sort of national or uh, culture that we're a part of. It's like everybody's doing this, everybody's doing that. This is the way we're trying to think. 
No, Jesus is not rooted in what is going on in the, the breezes of our culture here. His ultimate and absolute truth is the basis for his counsel. In other words, his counsel is above culture. It's outside of ourselves. It's outside of the opinions of the day. And so the counsel of this wonderful counselor is something that's rooted in eternal and long-lasting, unbreakable truth. And so his perspective is different than the culture of our day. And I don't know how many times I've heard things said in schools or in our culture or even in politics or sometimes even in my extended family. It's going like, oh, that's where our family thinks. Really? Is that really the way it is? Is that really what life is? There is life that's different from the opinions of our day. And so this idea here is that there's a sense of wonder there's a sense of wonder and counsel that's rooted in unchanging, always truth. It's consistent. You know that this is something that's worth living for. So there's a practical ability and discernment to see things as they really are. Not the way that our feelings or our opinion says they are. And that leads us to the difference between wisdom and knowledge. We have a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of facts and knowledge and even, you know, principles in one sense. But there's a wisdom, there's a discernment here that brings the best and healthy results. Because there's things that are confusing to figure out. Oh my goodness, it's like, I think this, you think that. I feel this way, you feel that way. Okay, let's just find a middle ground. No, we need help, friends. We need help to resolve things, to have discernment because there's too much opinion, a feeling, my family, the way I see things, the way I was raised, the way that you were raised, the way our, my education, my teacher told me this, a counselor said, it's like, oh my goodness, are you tired sometimes? We are tired of these things and we're tired of ourselves trying to figure things out. And so there's this whole sense here of wisdom is something that brings the best and healthy, lasting results. And it brings wholeness. And it doesn't just skirt the issues on the surface. It doesn't just kind of paint over things. You know, I mean, I try to paint and clean my house sometimes and do stuff. And I've painted stuff. If you don't prime well, if you don't do sanding and good preparation there, you're just painting over stuff and the first rain or something happens and the thing dribbles off. And you're like, oh man, we got to do this all over again. It's like you do it over, you keep doing it over again, do it over again. You know, it's, and so preparation and sanding and having hard times sometimes you have to kind of get it down to the base you know and you kind of have to prime it right and make sure it will hold hold the paint but we just like to skirt over things you can tell them stuff is quickly patched have you been through a quick patch in your life oh my goodness i'm patching it up because we have a problem right now i'm just going to patch it up you're going to patch it up until it waters again it rains again you know my goodness. And so this is something here that is the difference between wisdom and knowledge is that wisdom will find the longest lasting real results and it's willing to go through sometimes very difficult preparation. Knowledge, sometimes we can act quickly. I have facts. I can read the internet. I can read Wikipedia. I get some ideas. But man, no. Sometimes our life issues are deeper and we have to go down to the base of many things here. 
Now, Christ is the wisdom of God. So many times we hear that Christ himself is the wisdom of God and what Christ says and has said is the wisdom of God. Isaiah chapter 11, just turn a page or two if you're you're following along with me here. Isaiah chapter 11 verses one and two says this. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And here's this great sense about this one, this Christ child, that he comes and what he says, how he lives life, he's the great resolver, remember, that's the other definition. He resolves situations out of wisdom, discernment, understanding, and it often takes time. Things don't often come quick. And things may take time to be prepared well. It says also in 28, 29 of Isaiah, the scripture goes on to speak in a very short phrase here. 28, 29 says, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Those words matter. He's not just a wonderful counselor, but he is wonderful in his counsel. It's insightful, it's resolving, it's, it's a practical, it's what's best for the long term. And he is excellent in wisdom, his perfection in wisdom he gives us. And so let me pause and just say this. He wasn't just the wonderful counselor when he was born. He's the wonderful counselor today. And so, friends, sometimes we need to take time with that wonderful counselor and let him instruct us, train us, teach us. And we want, we want to be quick. We're an instant gratification culture. We want somebody to give us help right now. But you know what? Sometimes it's not right now. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it takes a long while. But there's counsel and wisdom because it's rooted in changed lusts structure, culture, and insights from the wise counselor himself. And so, wonderful counselor, he's amazing, he's the great resolver, his counsel is wow, compared to what our culture wants to give. But that's not all he is, as a wonderful counselor, he's the mighty God. That's the next phrase. You know, the root word in Hebrew for God is the word E-L, L. And so, L with any other word is, is the, the sense of the strong one. And so here it's, an un, it's a definite aspect of God's nature. We hear about the God of peace or the God of healing or the God of life or the God of love, the God of, of, of strength. But here it is, mighty God, he's God of might, the God who is strong. And the other words that go with it are this, the warrior, the champion, the valiant one. You've sung about that today already. I just love the song that was sung by Ruth and then we, our whole congregation sang along with. Thank you, Pastor, for leading us into kind of following that up because this God, the one who we listen to, respond to, and work under, surrender ourselves to, is mighty. He's a champion. He's the valiant one. Now, here's very interesting, I think. The person who knows God is mighty cannot trust God or depend in himself or herself. Because Proverbs 28, 26 says this, 
the one who trusts in himself is a fool. That's what the scripture says. When we trust in ourselves and our way of seeing things, we are fool or we act foolish. And so this is a, a warning to us as well, that the mighty God creates a whole different way of how to approach life than how we would approach it ourselves. Now, how might this relate to us today? Well, have you given up? <laughs> Are you wrestling with something and you're saying, ah, oh, it's just too much for me? Or I'm facing too much opposition or too much struggle right now. Or maybe you're living on top of your game. It's like, hey, I'm, look what I figured out. I am so together right now. I've put myself together. I'm doing so well. And no offense, but just wait for another month or week and see how it goes, friend, okay? I'm just saying this. Just, was 22 the greatest year of all time for you? For some people, maybe it was a great year. I don't know. There's a lot of people that claim they became strong or prosperous or happy or whatever. And a lot of us don't feel the same way. It's been a hard year in many other ways here. But here's the deal that God's word, I think, allows us to really understand. He is the mighty God, the God who's the warrior God. And he is the one who gives all that we need in the right time and how we need it along the way. Another phrase of this Christ child, this so shows who he is, is one that your version it might say eternal father or everlasting father. Okay, we're going to talk for a minute about fathers here. Good news or bad news, depending on the day in which we live or your own situation. In, in the scriptures, the word father means principal giver of life. That's what the concept of father is. And it's implied in the Old Testament and the New Testament that a father should have fatherly care and loves the child. He's the one who supports, undergirds, provides, protects, and encourages. He's literally, it means the one who draws you close to the breast. A good father draws the children, the child, close to the breast and holds, protects, cares, strengthens, provides, and meets the practical needs of the child. That's what the good father in a scriptural language does. Many of us have not experienced that in our fathers. And so what's hard is that we sometimes equate father with God and we have, we're turned off towards God because of the experience we've had with a human father. And so it's important for us to not confuse these issues here. Father in the Bible, father in the Old Testament and New Testament is the principal giver of life, holds close to the breast, draws close together, provides, protects, and encourages. But now look what he does. He's the eternal father. He's eternal is always advancing, never ending. So here's the fatherhood in a good way, a beautiful way, that is drawing children, spiritual children, close to the breast. And the one who eternally pours out care and provision for his children. I tell you, when a father can lovingly, carefully protect, care, provide, walk with, stand with, support children, it's a beautiful, sturdy picture of what this life can be like. 
but not all people have experienced that. But this father, this eternal father who we're talking about, the Christ child, it says he's the eternal father, the everlasting father. The way he treats his people, men or women, he brings them together. He walks with them together. So who does this apply to today? Have you ever been let down by someone close to you? A mother or a father or a loved one or a family member? Have you had a sense where your life has had a letdown? Are you feeling or experiencing aloneness or loneliness today? You know, we can feel that way. Even when you're with people in community on a Sunday morning, when you gather with the church, but we live a life seven days a week. And there might be other days a week where you're feeling, when you're not with the people of God, you're living in this world by yourself and you feel by yourself. You may even have people in the same household with you, but you still can feel by yourself. You still feel alone. You feel empty. There's a sense of gap there. There's something missing. It's like, oh man, I can hardly wait till Sunday to be with the people of God. Well, I missed last Sunday, so now it's two weeks till I see people that I think love me. And do they really love me? Because I, you know, do they love me or not? And we can have these feelings and realities that we're alone when nobody else is looking. I call it soul talking. Do you have a lot of soul talk when nobody else knows what you're thinking and feeling? And you, you know, you might have a smile on your face. You might have things that have gone pretty well, or you kind of, you provide your job. You do what you have to do. You're kind of dutiful and doing the things that are expected of you. But inside your mind and your soul, you're like, who cares? <laughs> Does anybody care about me? Does anybody care how I'm really doing? You know, I think we can feel that way. And I have a, I've had an amazing experience. I feel you know, I've had a, a lot of life through the last, number. I'm, I'm an old guy, man. I've had a lot of caring people in my life, but there's still times I feel like, really? Does anybody really care? Poor old me. And it's not self-pity. It's a matter of, there's times in our situation we go, does anybody really know what I'm going through? Does anybody really care what I'm going through right now? How I really feel about this? And so there's times we have to be very you know, aware here, but here's what I want to give everybody an invitation to realize. There's an eternal father who knows you. And if nobody else knows you, the eternal father does. And he's a good father. He's not just a run-of-the-mill father or named father. And we sometimes give males a name for father when they birth a child, but they're not a father. They just have helped birth a child. But you know what? The eternal father, it says, is the name given to Jesus, the Christ child. He draws us close to the breast. He wants you to be close to his breast. He wants to be protector, provider, encouragement to you in spite of what around you is going on, in spite of how alone you often feel. There's one who supersedes all of them. His name is Jesus. And he is an eternal father to you. He is going to be, if nobody else will hear your story, he draws you close to his breast. He knows what you're really like. He knows what you're really feeling. He knows what you're really going through right now, what you went through years ago. And it's not just about past. I want to make this encouragement for this coming year. What are you going to face this coming year? I don't know. I have no, we don't know what any of us are going to face. You know, there's things that I 
have gone through the last year or two or three, I had no idea it was coming. I did not see it coming. I did not know it was going to be this way. These are realities where I'm like, where'd that come from? Or what do I do now? Man, there's, I've had a lot of what do I do now questions in my life. Oh my goodness. And you know what? I think that when we have those I don't know what to do now questions, that's the time we need to stop listening to all the counsel by everybody else and go to the one. To go to the one and say, what do I do now? What do I do now? How am I to live now? You're my eternal father, my everlasting father. You're my wonderful counselor. You're the mighty God. What do I do now? You're the one who I come to. And that isn't with other people. That's often in your alone time, in your closet or the quietness of your own house or wherever your favorite spot is. Or maybe you have to get away from other people for a while. Lord, you're the mighty God. You're the wonderful counselor. You're the everlasting father. You're my father. What do I do now? And we need to stop and listen to him and let him be the one to speak truth and wisdom. He's the great resolver, right? You need to wait until you hear his resolution. What's his resolve for you? How is he working? What's your responsibility to listen to him and let him work and do his work of bringing. But that leads us to, could be my favorite one, but these are all great. But the next one's called the Prince of Peace. Okay, the Prince of Peace. You know, the word peace has many uses of the word peace in our culture. Uh, number one is sometimes it's the absence of external conflict. There's been battle going on over here, so I just want peace from this battle going on. The conflict, it's all, the chaos, the criticism, the difficulty, that's always going on. That's one, one slice of what peace might be like. A second one is absolute submission due to fear or threat. Now, some people are at peace because they're under the bondage of someone else, so they don't fight at all. They just kind of quietly go along with everything because it's like, all I want is some peace. And that means I'm under threat of I don't want to battle anymore. So I'm just going to be, you know, I'm going to be stuck in this situation. That's, that's peace, but it's not real peace, is it? It's peace because we're not fighting, but it's, and we're not in battle. A third one is, you know, I kind of like this one actually. It's calm or freedom from any stress like you're on an island. You're in paradise. It's like, man, the breeze is blowing. There's no conflict right now. You're just like, I don't have to hear all the news. I don't have to hear what's going on in the world around me. I can just, I'm sitting under a tree. I'm drinking a little pina colada or something, whatever it is, your, your beverage of choice. Uh, and you're just kind of taking it all in. There's, so that's peace to some people. If I can only get away to that place, I'm going to be okay. But once I'm back where I'm here, I don't have peace. It's there. So it's like an island of peace away from the chaos around us. And you have to often leave people and situations to go feel peaceful. So in one sense, those are all definitions of peace in our culture today. But the root here is different. When this Prince of Peace, the root is based on 
wellness or wholeness or being made complete or finding full restoration. In other words, there's a healing that's taking place, making a broken or divided situation well again. Wow. So it's peace, meaning that something was messed up, broken, fallen apart, and it's been brought together. It's, it's been brought together in a way that is a healing there. You know, we think about broken bones. Sometimes the broken bones become stronger after it's been repaired. And it's, it's a sense of things that were very broken have been brought together, melded or melt together or strengthened together. And now we're at peace. Something that was broken and terribly separated is now brought together. And so there's a healing that takes place. But now what about peace? He's called the Prince of Peace. This word prince in the Bible means the captain or the chief one or the keeper of. And so Jesus is given the name the captain or prince of peace. He's the one that brings restoration, well, well knit together oneness of things that were once apart. Two who had been separated are now glued together, a beautiful picture. And one application is between God and man. Jesus gives us peace with God and us. And many of you have experienced that. There's peace in your heart with Almighty God that you didn't have 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 40 years ago. And God has given you peace, a, a union, a unity, a oneness, a healing with God him towards you and you to God. Beautiful. That's what salvation does in our life. And it may not even, we may not even fully experience it right away. But once we give our surrender to God Almighty, we begin to experience peace and it, it gets restored life and joy and strength. And something happens with us and God that I never had that when I was younger or in the past. A second aspect of peace is the idea here of person to person. Is there peace needed between you and someone else? And this is where God in a beautiful, amazing way can bring about restoration or resolve, sometimes over time, but can bring peace between two people that were once at conflict. It's a beautiful story here. Third aspect of peace is the idea of within yourself. Have you been disappointed in yourself in reality of what you have been like recently or in the past? Or maybe all along when you're saying like, that was then, this is now. Am I at peace today with who I am after what I know I was like for all those years in the past? I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. I am a new being on the inside, and this is peace. He's the prince of peace, even in your own life. So certainly it can be with you and God, it can be with you and another person, or it can be you within yourself. And you're realizing like, oh man, I think back to what I once was. Oh, thank you for giving me a new life. I'm at peace now. 
I have the grace of God. There's peace in who I am today that Jesus gave me. Because I know, I know, I resemble that remark about what all these people were like. And I am new inside. And this is a beautiful picture here. And so, what do people often look to in an effort to find peace? Well, some love to stay busy. If I can just get as busy as possible, I don't have to think about any of these things. Others turn to alcohol or other substances. This thing over here, as I drink it or take it or inject it or do whatever it does to me, it gives me a feeling of peace for today or for this hour or for a few days. But then I'm back to myself. Friends, don't be back to yourself. Ourselves are messy selves. <laughs> ourselves have hurt others and hurt ourselves. And so we find ways to, to skate over, categorize, not feel as deeply about my wrongs. And so we find this stuff to satisfy us for this season, but then we wake up the next day and we're still back the same old self. And so I want to remind us that the Prince of Peace doesn't want you to be the same old self. He's given you a new self, a new identity, a new life. And so we sometimes, others find that, you know, when they deal, when they're in pain, what do we do? We shop. <laughs> we splurge. Oh, I got to go buy something just so I feel better. And we just go buy stuff. And we get our, yeah, Amazon, yeah. Got speed dials Amazon, you know. Two days, it's there, man. Whatever you want. You don't have to think about it, really. And, you know, you go to Costco, how many spend, how, how many go to Costco to buy one thing and came out with a $200 bill, man? It's amazing how that happens. Or Home Depot, you know, it's like, you go through, it's like one thing, and no. Because something feels good in us, gives us peace, if we can just buy that, or just fill the closet. Ah. Another thing we often do to deal with peace is we, we, surround ourselves with other people. I want to be around certain kind of people, so I just have to be around people. And I, I want that kind of person or that group of people, and I'm tired of this kind of person or this kind of group of people, you know? And so people become our drug of choice, if I say that respectfully. It becomes, you know, we just find ways to find satisfaction and calmness or joy or life for a little while and it's with these kind of people. And so what I want to suggest is that none of those aren't necessarily always bad, but it can never be the replacement for the peace giver, the prince of peace, because the prince of peace is the captain of peace and he brings it to our soul, our mind, and our inner person. And this captain or the keeper of peace will often bring us to situations that I can become resolved and at peace, inner peace. I can become restored. I can have life. I can have courage and quietness for once and not have such high blood pressure or other situations that have been brought into my life. And so I guess as we begin to close here, I wanted to just remind us this Christ child came 
we remember it on Christmas Day, which didn't happen on December 25th. So this Christ child, whenever he came, whatever true date he was born, I mean, he's available today. And this year, for 2023, friends, you and I, we need daily a wonderful counselor. We need daily a mighty God. We need daily an everlasting Father. And we need daily a Prince of Peace. And so my invitation for you today is for this coming year to make sure that even if your world gets messy, our world gets messy, our country gets messy, our community gets messy, your church gets messy, your family you live with gets messy, no matter what happens, Jesus is the Christ child and he is all those things for you. You need and I need to spend time at his feet, surrendering him. He's today, it's, it's like he was born today. He's available today. The wonderful counselor is alive today. He isn't dead from 2,000 years ago. Wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace, mighty God, everlasting Father. He is ours today. 